I'm going to be talking about some of those empty spaces today. It's going to be one of those sermons that is going to kind of be a deeper one for you. And, um, you know, we try to escape the empty spaces. And then we, we try to do is we try to come to God with a full cup to prove that we deserve to be here or something. I don't know what it's like with you. Can I get this mic up a little bit? I don't know what you do, but when I come to God, I'm still trying to prove myself a little. And I think the best thing I can bring is just emptiness. Maybe you didn't know this, but God didn't really need you. <laughs> I feel like 20, 29% of you understood that. Don't uh, run away from the empty spaces today. We're going to talk about them a little bit. But uh, before we do that, I want to introduce um, a friend of mine. This is uh, Pastor Mike and Elisa and their kids. from. They live up in Lloydminster now. You might not know this. Some of you do know. Some of you know them. They used to pastor in... Uh, in Airdrie here for like 18 years. They sowed uh, seed into this community and uh, were, were really the, the first people who reached out to us when we came here. And uh, we come from very different like, you know, church backgrounds and looks. And I remember Pastor Mike was saying like, I saw this venue church and I'm like, you know, everybody was like, what is, well, this thing seems different. He reached out to me and we went out for lunch and, and we became great friends. And, uh, and I want you to know that what God is doing here is a result of your faithfulness over those years. So don't ever think that anything was wasted. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you and honor you for, for, I feel like we get to reap a harvest that you guys sowed. And so we just want to love you and bless you. We spoiled them a little bit this weekend because I know that's, that's our, in our heart to do that. And, and uh, I just wanted you to know that the harvest, we're baptizing nearly 40 people next week, guys. 40 people. But that harvest is in part theirs. Uh, we have 600 people show up to church last weekend and so that part harvest is partly theirs and so we wanted to say thank you um he did tell me in private you know um when they left town that there's a few families that might be coming over to venues way that i should watch out for there's so many things i want to say about that right now but we actually got some of the families that uh, uh, these guys pastored for so long. And they were able to just say those things that they appreciate about them. And it's good that we honor those that God has called to care for us and shepherd us. Come on, Venue Church. Say amen. Give these guys some love. Um, we're going to be doing communion in the last uh, song today. So just prepare your hearts to that. It'll happen sort of quickly. But I think it's going to really have to do with the sermon that we're preaching right now. So now let me, um, for the baptism service, we have two services. We're splitting the baptisms up in between them. So I don't know, like for, if I was you, I would maybe like think about going to both services because I wouldn't want to miss somebody's story. And here's the deal. When you bring a friend to church, there's never uh, an easier time to get them to church than baptism Sunday. And I can guarantee that one of like the 20 stories that they watch in that service is going to speak to them. And there's nothing more powerful than hearing somebody else's story. That's like, that's like my story. And you, you landed with Jesus. Maybe I should land there too. And so there's something about that that's just a powerful uh, thing. And so I just want to, to say that we're also live streaming both. So if you have family that you want to see this, we're live streaming both and recording both because we're not going to miss anything for you. We really want you to be able to partake in that and your, uh, your family as well. So, all right. Today's sermon is about Lazarus. Thanks, Sean. Um, I'm going to be preaching about Lazarus coming out of the grave today. But this sermon really is about dreams. You know, I believe that every, every child has a dream from God. I think some of us just, that was a long time ago. 
I think that every child has a dream that God has, has planted a seed of in their, in their hearts that I think over time and, uh, you know, I mean, look, if you have like little kids, you're like dreams. I don't want to talk about dreams. I just want to sleep, you know? And there's times like you just go to work day after day and you're just paying bills or you're just raising kids or you're just scrapping it out in marriage or you're not and you're lonely and you're, or, or there's still a dream though that is the seed inside of your heart today that in this sermon, I feel like, and maybe in the communion time or the prayer time that you're going to go get afterwards, there's going to be something that God is going to uncover once again and remind you of once again, a seed of a dream that God puts you here for. Now, every child knows there's, there's a, at least a time that every child knows that there is something that I bring to the world. There's at some point in my life, I'm going to matter. I'm going to bring something that's going to be something that, that when I leave the room, they're going to say, I'm glad that they came into the room because if they didn't come, we would have missed something essential in our lives. There's this thing of like matter and purpose and something God called you to do. Even if you grew up far from God, there's still a seed there inside of you that God planted in you because you're still his child, whether you've been adopted officially or not. You still, God still created the world. God still created the human race. Some of you just need to come in and get adopted and then get baptized. There's something in you that you glimpsed way back then. Um, some of you, it's like, it's a musical thing. You connect with music. There's some of you, uh, I don't know how to say this. I, I'm just casting about here trying to, the first sermon was a hot mess. And so this one is going to be too, so... <laughs> I don't care. We embrace the mess. The, uh, there's something like, some of you are like, uh, I don't know why I wrote this down, but like you fix baby birds and stuff. You know what I mean? The baby birds that people like me broke when I was, you know. Why'd you push the nest out of a tree? I don't know. It seemed like the thing. There's somebody that, there's something about you fix, maybe you fix broken animals and then God wants you to fix broken people. You know, there's, there's something about you. you. You made a lemonade stand when you were a kid and you figured out a way to rip off the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, you brought your little brother or sister out and they didn't look good. And you're just like, look at this poor kid. Like we need resources. Look at his shoes, you know? And you, there's this business aspect about you. There's, I said it was going to be all over the place. There's something about you that's, that was different, that you knew could set you apart, that you knew was needed to matter somewhere. And, um, some of you, you were just naturally gifted in sports or, or in leadership. My brother was one of those like sports guys. Like his brain could, he could just tell you what you were doing wrong and everybody else. It was just the way that God made. Some of you, your brains are beautiful. You can't talk to humans, but your brains are beautiful. You know what I mean? There's so much I can say about that. There's something though that the world needed that God put in you. Um, but then life happens, you know, or something happens to you really young. And, or, or you start doing something, you get involved in the wrong friends or, you know, just the way that life goes or just the busyness of life or the rat race or just paying bills. You know, after a while, that dream sort of starts to get pushed to the side a little bit or, or buried. Here's the deal. If God put a dream in you that you can feel, then I think the enemy of your soul, the devil can feel it too. And I think that the very place that the enemy stepped on you is the place that God put a dream in you. The very place that he wanted to bring the most disappointment and the most crushing is the very place that God is going to resurrect something today inside of you. 
And so how it happened with me, you know, I had, I had dreams when I was little, my dad left the business world to be a pastor. And so I had dreams of like, I was going to be a pastor. Um, and then I, I had a dream that I was going to be like a pre I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, I was going to be like a preacher because that's different than a pastor apparently. And then I had a dream that I was going to be a musician. And then I had a dream of business and, uh, but there was something inside of me that was that, that still set me apart. Can I tell you a little bit about I was always, you know, I felt like, here's what I felt like, that God wanted to use me when I was little. And I had to think back, you know, to disrupt what the enemy is doing in the world. It's funny though, the enemy tried to disrupt me before I could get to the dream, right? So I had a great home that I grew up in, but there was a lot of like crazy stuff that would happen to me in the middle of the night in a spiritual sense of the enemy just trying to drive me crazy. And I mean, it's a whole story that I could tell you, but it's this idea, but I still knew that I was there to disrupt things. I still knew that there was something in me that was supposed to change the game that everybody was losing, you know, but we moved to, to uh, Los Angeles when I was a kid for a few years. And so can you imagine like little rural, my, my parents were both farm kids from little town. And we moved to Los Angeles. We moved to Los Angeles before you could Google Los Angeles. Some of you don't know there was a world before the internet, before the interweb, where you could find things and that there was mail before email. The only way they left their families and a new house and knew everything and left business. And they went, they moved our family to Los Angeles, to Pasadena, California. And the only way they could talk back home with all their parents that they left and their brothers and sisters and their family and their church family, they left everybody. And the only way they could talk to them was paying like $40 a minute on long distance with phones that had cords with them. Remember when you used to have to talk on the phone, you have to like stay in one spot. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. There was a whole life before you. There was stuff we had to do that was exhausting. Pre-texting, like you guys don't even know. They couldn't Google what it was like. They, they, or they sent letters that took like weeks to go this way and then weeks to come back, you know? And so we moved to Los Angeles when, when I was a kid. Now this was a huge disruption of our family. Um, but there was something buried inside of my, as my parents came out, they didn't really have a dream of ministry in that sense. Not that here's the deal. Like I'm in full-time ministry now, but I feel like I lost a huge amount of ministry when I left my work world. I feel like I, I left ministry to come and do what I'm doing now, which is training you for the work of the ministry. I feel like I left ministry because my ministry was with unchurched people and unsaved people. And man, that's exactly where God called me for so long. And I loved it there, you know, but, but they came out of the business world and it was a massive disruption for them to move to LA. Now LA was not a place like Alberta was. So, um, my friend was riding my bike one time in front of my house. And uh, I think we were away and he was riding my bike in front of my house. He fell off the bike, scraped his knee up, went in to get a bandaid, bike is gone. So we were used to that. If somebody was borrowing our bike, they had to walk from the neighboring farm and maybe they needed it. You know, you didn't lock your door, right? Cause they might need it in your fridge. I feel like the average age here is younger than is remembering what. One time uh, somebody put a couch out in the front yard because they were going to haul it to the dump. And by the time they got over to haul it to the dump, the couch had been stolen. So this is like Los Angeles. This is a whole disruption for us. You know, there was something in my life even there that um, was meant to like disrupt something, you know, in a good way. <laughs> Most of my parents, it was just disrupting things in a bad way. But there's something in there that was, you know, we lived across the street from like, um, um, it was a halfway house run by 
run by people who had kind of gotten saved in and out of the, the prison ministry. Now, they were all Hispanics, so they grew up in, like, the gangs, and, and this was a rough crew of people. And they lived across the street from us, and they would bring people in from jail and rehabilitate them in a halfway house. But this was like a rough crowd, right? Now, they loved Jesus, but they were still rough, you know? And they let everybody on our block know because we were like this, like, naive, white Canadian family that just believed in the goodness of humankind, you know? And they let everybody on the block know, the drug dealers, everybody know, like, hey, they're with us, and we don't want to go back to our old way of life, but we will if you touch, <laughs> we will if you touch those poor people. You know, there was something, I went over to one of my neighbor's houses who was kind of involved in some not great stuff, and he was sitting on the front porch drinking beer, and I walked up to him and I said, I said, now what kind of example are you for a kid like me? <laughs> my mom's like, oh my God, you what? Oh. And this poor guy, you know, there's something inside of me that was like, he's wasting his life. You know, I was just like seven, gonna get shot, a white kid in LA, you know. And uh, this guy's like, can't even, my mom, everybody's like, can't even drink a beer on my own front porch, a little white kid come preaching me. <laughs> there was something in me that was supposed to disrupt something. You know, I could feel it as my life moved on. And um, I went to Youth with a Mission right out of high school, and that's uh, like YWAM, we used to call it, where they would get kids out in the mission field, and they'd, they'd train you, and then they get you out in the mission field. And so I went to Youth with a Mission. I could feel that there was a call of God in my life, and they even told me like, hey, you're YWAM material, you need to come and stay uh, in, in YWAM. But my dad, I called him, my dad up on the phone because I had a dream then that I was going to like preach the gospel because what we were doing was reaching into unchurched people, and it was really good for, and I'm like, yeah, you know, but I was 18, I was really young. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, they want me to stay on base here and, uh, you know, raise support. And my dad, my dad's like 18 year old kid raising support from hardworking people like me. My dad's like, no, he said, let me, he's like, let me unwrap this a little bit. Cause here's the deal. I wanted to unwrap the dream. God gave me a little too soon. He's like, let me unwrap you a little. Why don't you come home? I got a job with an electrician. Um, I bought you a car. You owe me $5,000. It's very wise how he did this. I'm like, what kind of a car? Um, and then he said something to me that was very interesting. He said, I want you to be a working man because you'll never be able to talk to one until you've been one. I remember I didn't like hearing that at the time because I would rather raise support from working men. <laughs> it's funny. Who built the church here? The working men and women. Who does the gospel resonate with here? It's funny. It's funny. But um, I went back to my dad's little church and I didn't start preaching. You know what I noticed though? Because here's the thing. Your gift will have to do probably with what you notice when you walk in a room. Some of you notice the broken people. I don't notice the broken people as much as I notice that the chair they're sitting on is crooked. You think I'm joking. Pastor and be like, oh, honey, I'm just like, the chair's crooked. You got to straighten it up. I notice things like atmosphere, but it, it's, it's funny that f 15 years, you know, okay, so I noticed, you know what I noticed when I went home? I, I, this is what I noticed. I noticed that our worship leader at my dad's church was terrible. That, that, and then, then my dream about me becoming a musician. So I like started playing guitar and I just started working on the worship team, just serving, you know, just started because the worship leader was terrible. We have great worship leaders here. You know why they're great? Because they don't weep every service. 
They don't like start weeping and weeping and weeping every service right before the preacher gets up to preach and just like, <laughs> I mean like full on weeping, like we're emotional, but come on now. And my dad would get up to preach. I, you know, my dad, oh, that was hard for him. He'd get up to preach after this and he'd be like, thank you. Everybody's like, <laughs> in these like low moments. And I started just working onto the worship team. And then I started 15 years later. I spoke to uh, maybe 12 or 15 kids at the time, the first time I ever spoke, like publicly to kids. And it's funny how the anointing of God came on my life right then. And my wife said, I knew then what you were supposed to do. 15 years later, I think some of us, um, you're in the middle of this 15 year period or something that it's funny how nothing is wasted now but something happened to every one of those dreams that I had along the way. Um, it's called the death cycle of a dream. Dreams have to die. Watch. What happens with dreams is that before too long, you start looking to the dream to get your self-esteem from. You're like, this is great, this gift that I have, it's great. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel valued. It makes, and you start looking to the dream to give you self-esteem and to give you worth and to give you your place and to give you your role. And you start, but here's, here's the thing. And this is good to write down. The gift is not from you and it's not for you. And when God asks you to give the dream away and that's where your self-esteem is, I'm going to bring it closer to home here in a second, but. Uh, here's what I want, where I want you to go today. Over time, dreams tend to wrap themselves around us. That's why a dream needs to die. I didn't know this about myself at the time, but I was starting to wrap the dream of God around myself. And, um, it's hard for us when God calls for the dream to die, but every dream that God gives has to die. Just think, did Jesus die? Every dream that God gives you has to die because it cannot be wrapped around you. In fact, if your dream is only wrapped around you, then it's only your size. And a dream that God will give you will be much greater than anything you can accomplish in your lifetime. In fact, it'll be greater than anything you can do by yourself ever. But I realized what I was doing was, and the reason I had to go into business all those years and sweat and grind. And I had to learn how to talk to people. I had to learn. And you know what? You know, why, you know why we reach so many unchurched people here is because I remember the day when I'm like, it's not us in the church and them out there. It's all us. And I had to start realizing this, this can't be wrapped around me. This has to be wrapped around, around God. And it's not even for me. Every dream God gives has to die. Now listen, listen, can I get... I remember when our family dream died. I don't know what your family stuff looks like, but um, you start dating somebody, what you might as well do is just give them a box full of rocks called your dreams. And you just like, give them this box of rocks and be like, hey, hang on to this, would you? And I'm going to check in every six months to see how you're doing with my dreams and see if you're causing my dreams to grow and if you're you know, making something of my dreams. And then they hand you one and every six months you check in and you're like, I don't feel like you're doing anything with my box of rocks that you're carrying around. They're like, well, you're not doing anything with mine. 
And sooner or later, I think every relationship that we have, we naturally start wrapping it around ourselves. And uh, I remember things in our family were getting worse, particularly in our marriage, were getting worse and worse and worse. And I remember the day that that dream of, of our family got unwrapped and unraveled. I remember the time that I sent a text. We've been married for just about two decades and invested so much and it wasn't working. Not only wasn't it working, it was real bad. And I remember the text that I sent to my brother and to like five or six pastor friends of mine saying like, is it done? We're done. We can't do this. There were so many things wrapped up in that dream of family and like, of like the very thing that we had sweated for so hard was done. And my kids growing up loving Jesus was maybe done because if they see what's going on in our home and they, things were a mess and the dream that you see today with the church done and the people that we were leading at the time done. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to the 30 people that came with us. I don't know what's going to happen to them because this is all done. It's all, it's dead. It's done. And I remember, I remember the shock from the people coming back, getting those texts. They didn't know that something was wrong, but it was wrong and we were done. And, and that dream had to die. And I realized over the, the ensuing months as God started to redeem things, but it had to go down so far and die because we had wrapped it around ourselves. Like, hey, this is all about me. And this is all about me having a great marriage for me. And this is all about me having kids that for me. And this is all about me creating a church for me. And I realized that something happened in the crucible. And I, today I want to change your mind about the crucible that you might be in right now. Because the crucible is a beautiful place because the dream changes hands in the crucible. That way, everything that we build moving forward doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Everything in our family that works now, I'm just like, whew, well, we messed it up. We know what we did with it. Anything that we move forward with belongs to God, and it's a miracle. Come on, say amen, Venue Church. Because we use the dream to get glory for ourselves. And we think that the dream was meant for us. A seed is only a seed until it falls into the ground and dies, the Bible says. It says it will remain alone unless it falls into the ground and dies. What dream is buried inside of you? What dream are you facing the death of right now? Because this is what we do with those dreams. Is that when things aren't going well, I don't know, this is what I did. I would just dig it up, the seed, and be like, why aren't you growing? You're not growing. Like, you're obviously dead. And I would dig it up. And God would plant it in the soil and I would just keep digging it up. Just to like, what's going on with the dream? It's not growing. It's not. But every time I would do that, I would disrupt something that's very important for that dream in your life. And that is the death cycle has to complete. It has to come full circle. And it actually has to die where there's no strings attached to it and you and your glory and your whatever anymore. And it has to actually get down to this place where it's not about you anymore. I think that Lazarus in the story today represents our dreams. When I say Lazarus, I want you to think about that thing that, that God put inside of you that could make a huge difference. And you know it still could, but I want you to think about the, the cycle that you're in with that dream right now. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your very dear friend is, is very sick. Your dear friend is very sick. 
And it says this, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. This is hard in an immature Christianity. He stayed where he was. In the greatest hour of our need, in our family even, or just in my life and the dreams that I felt God gave me, the very hour of need, it bothered me and it hurt me that Jesus didn't come when I needed him. I remember saying one time to God, like, I gave you everything you want and I never said no. And this is still happening. See, there's, there's the Jesus when your dream is wrapped around you that you control and you get a summon. But it says right here that Lazarus, he waited where he was two more days. Because heaven is not driven by need. It is driven by faith. It is driven by a plan that's greater than anything you can ask or think of. Because God's dream is to save the whole world, not just you and not just your little deal. And his plan is so complex and so powerful. And, and you're thinking about you. He's thinking about three generations away from you if you go through the crucible today. That's what he's thinking about. Finally, he said to his disciples, it's a long two days for Mary and Martha. I mean, two days in pain is like a lifetime. I mean, if you go to, I've been to Disneyland, my kids haven't yet, but you go to Disneyland, man, time flies because you're having fun, right? Yeah. Two days in pain is a long time. We had months and months of it. I would say years of it we have. It's a long time. It says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples latched onto that like you and I do because we're like, oh, good, good, good. It's not death then. Good, good. Uh, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. There is something in them that is just rejecting the thought that the dream could die. There's something in them that's rejecting the thought that Lazarus could die if Jesus loved him. There's something in them that doesn't understand death, doesn't see death the way that Jesus sees it. There's something in them that, it's like a mental block. It's like a heart block that ju just, you can't be like, if Jesus loves me, then I can't lose this. I can't lose my son. I can't, I can't lose my career. I can't lose my house. I can't, if Jesus loves me. Watch. Um, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he, told, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now, now, there was a teaching at the time that the spirit would linger in the body for three days. And so for three days, they're just like, well, if he shows up, if he shows up, if he shows up. But then, and you're like, if he just shows up now, like it's bad, but if he shows up, if the Holy Spirit shows up, I know that he could flick a switch and heal it. I know he could do something to my teenage son. I know that he could. And if he would just show up and then like one day after the deadline, he shows up. And three days later, they're like, well, there's nothing in their theology and their understanding of God. They're like, no, it's done. Now it's dead. He's dead. He's in the ground. It's too late. And it says, well, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Now there's two kind of people here, I think, that. You might swing into one side or the other. Martha, her name means lady. And some of y'all are like rule followers. You always do what's right. My wife is like a rule follower. She's like, I can't speed because. And I don't speed either. 
There's two types of people here. There's one who's Martha who's like, I know that Jesus is here. I know that I should go to church. I know that I should do all the things. So I'm going to do them because it's the right thing to do. And we love you. We need you in society. But then there's people like Mary. And Mary's name doesn't mean lady. It means like sea of bitterness. And Mary's like, you, you go see Jesus. I ain't going out there. Because when I called, he didn't come. I remember I was more like that. I was like, yeah, but I called and you didn't come. Because when the dream is wrapped around me and how it relates to me, we summon Jesus, but Jesus doesn't summon us. And yeah, but you didn't come. And that hurt. Why didn't you come when I needed you? But heaven doesn't respond to need, it responds to faith. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, and this is what we do, my brother would not have died. That wouldn't have happened in my marriage if you had been here. I know if you'd have been here, he would not have died. He would not have died. He would not have died. And because we just put all of our eggs in that basket, he would not have died, would not have died, would not have died, because death is the end. Because death is the end, he would not have died. Let me jump down. It says, then she returned to Mary, verse 28. She called Mary from, a, uh, from aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. Now, we don't see in the scripture that Jesus said that. So maybe she was just lying to get somebody to church. It's okay. It's okay. You can lie a little to get somebody to church. Be like, hey, the pastor's great. Just like make up stuff. It's fine. Just get him to church. God will forgive you. It's funny though, she, Martha goes back and I don't know that she's lying because she's like, the teacher wants to see you, which is probably true because Jesus wants to see people, right? So, so she says this to Mary, the teacher wants to see you. Uh, if the teacher is here and wants to see you. And I think that Mary is like, more like, I don't know that I want to see him right now. But there's something that happens inside though. She's like, because immediately she goes and sees him. She's something, something broke inside of her and she's like, he really wants to see me like this? Down in the dirt? He really wants to see me angry, disappointed, depressed, questioning, so many doubts. I thought that you, he really wants to, this is not the Jesus that she used to know. This is, see, until the crucible, you only know a piece of Jesus. You only, you have an immature understanding of Jesus until you've been on a cross somewhere. Then, the, then you meet the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And she's like, you mean there's a Jesus deep enough to handle my anger and the sin of my heart right now and the things that I'm thinking? There's a, there's a Jesus that I can really go and just bent, right? There's that. He wants to see me like this. Crazy. Come on, moms of two-year-olds. He wants to see me. He, he wants me to pray when I'm like this. Mary immediately went to him when she arrived and saw Jesus. She fell at his feet. I mean, that's all she could do is get there. And said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. You know, the dream was only that Lazarus lived, but not how he lived. And I wonder if this wasn't another chance for Lazarus. Because I think some of you, you the life that you've lived, here's the problem. We just try to keep the dream alive. And I think that like living a 20% dream. I think you're better to let the 20% go into the ground and die so that you might get a 100% dream that God has for you. 
I don't know. It's like we're just trying to keep it alive. But I don't, I don't know if that's alive alive. There came a point in our marriage where I'm like, I don't want that kind of a marriage. I either want this kind or nothing. Now, I'm not saying like I was ready to walk away. I'm just like, this is what it could be. So I got to die to some stuff to see if God could do the other stuff. But I'm not going to be okay at 20%. You know, there's something inside of you. It's like, I will, I will go any place I got to go to meet that Jesus to see if, if something could be resurrected. Don't stop for your teenagers. Don't stop praying until the... You got to pray until it comes. You got to go after it. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, it was highly emotional. I mean, everything, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Now, this was different than the philosophers of the day. The ancient, like, Stoic philosophers, they, they thought that the main um, characteristics of God were this word called apatheia. Like, without suffering, without passion, without... Like, God is just up there. Is that who you grew up with? God was just up there, just watching the pain. And just like, you know, like Zeus or... You know what I mean? Like, uh... But this is a different Jesus down in the dirt. That everything that was ever done to you was done to him. Different Jesus. Watch this. He gets angry. This means he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. This can be translated, he snorted like a horse in anger. There's something that's happening right now that is so provoking. He's so angry about because they don't understand the thing about death. They think death is an ending, but it's not. It's the pathway. They think that the cross is the end, but it's not. It's the resurrection that comes afterwards. There's something there that he's just like, I don't get why you, you are resisting the death of a dream. He was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a, a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's very practical sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. And the King James says, he stinketh, Lord. <laughs> Some of y'all need to shut your brains off. Why would you say something like that? <laughs> Disgusting. Why would you say that? I put some oat milk in a container and I've been drinking out of it for like for with my coffee at the church here for like two months <laughs> and I'm like oatmeal can't go bad that's what I told myself right oh, oatmeal can't die have you ever seen oats go bad <laughs> gotta think people oatmeal is apparently not oats <laughs> and after I drank this you know after a while I'm like I feel like the coffee's getting worse maybe we're I need to try a different coffee you know I'm just like then I opened up the jar after I'd finished it all off and I'm like, oh, it's full of like mold and stuff. And I've been drinking that. I don't know where I was going with that. You know what? Like, Cause I told myself, oat milk can't die. If God gave me this dream of marriage and he gave me the marriage, then it can't die. If God gave me a dream of having this child or having this job or having this relationship, then it can't die. Because it came from God, right? And God is the God of life. And we're missing something. Oat milk. Like, I like how I tied that in there. I feel like that was anointed. <laughs> Jesus responded, didn't I tell you? You would see God's glory if you believe. So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. 
so they'll believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, and he, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Now, first of all, if, I, if I'm a Lazarus and I'm all wrapped up, do you guys watch like the mummy and stuff? Yeah, you do. You're not that spiritual. If I'm Lazarus and I'd hear this like, Lazarus, come out, and I get up. How did he get out of a, how did he get out of like the tomb if he can't see where he's going? That'd be super awkward, right? <laughs> Jesus tells a blind man to go down and wash in a pool. And if that was me, I'd be like, I'm blind. Like I'd like that, but I can't see where I'm going. There's something about this though. This is the part I think that we're missing with the death cycle. There's a lot of things in it, but I think the most important part for you today to know is that Jesus didn't unwrap Lazarus's dreams. His church friends did. Watch, watch. Mary gets up and she's upset and she goes and the people with her are like, oh, she must be going to the grave. And so they follow her. Martha goes to the grave. Jesus is funneling people to the grave site. He's funneling people to the place where, where all their dreams could, all their separate dreams about this guy and all their separate dreams are, he funnels them into their church friends. He gets all the spiritual community, he funnels them into this place where Lazarus is in the ground. And then he could have brought Lazarus out all by himself and saved the drama. He, he had the power to do that, but he doesn't go and bring Lazarus out to them. He brings everybody to that site. And then Lazarus comes out and then he does this powerful thing that only happens in church. When you come with your broken dreams and you come with your broken dreams and he says, Lazarus, come out and somebody else's dream comes to life. And then he says, unwrap him. And in the unwrapping of Lazarus, everybody's dream gets unwrapped. People ask me like, what's your discipleship process at the church? I'll tell you our discipleship process. Maybe you're here, you're new from Easter. Get involved because the greatest predictor of spiritual growth is going to church with four or five friends, going to small group with four or five friends who love Jesus. The greatest predictor of spiritual growth. Why? Because every time that we go and every sermon we listen to and every time we worship, Jesus unwraps us, but our friends unwrap us too. Because your gift has to do more with them than it has to do with you. And if you don't come in here, you're trying to deal with all your problems in your home. We tried it for two decades and I'm really smart and it doesn't work. I wish I'd have known what I know now. This is the place where it gets unwrapped. This is the place. Hey, we're going to take up communion in just a second here. But I want you to experience, I want you, to, I want the dream of God to come alive inside of you. But to do that, I think you've got to lay something down. I think you've got to stop fighting. Somebody came up to me after, it's like, it's control. I know what it is, pastor. I just want to confess that to you. I just got to let go of control. There's something in you that God is going to want to do. But even in communion, do you know what communion is? It's funneling everybody to the tomb. And reminding us like even Jesus died, even the dream there died. It gives us the courage to be like, hey, we can go through this together. We can go through the death of a dream together. And so as we take up communion, I want that to be a part of your story. And get prayed, if you're not done after, get prayed for afterwards. Because God is going to shed light on a dream that he gave you a long time ago. Some of you, you've just forgotten what that is. But God is going to do something incredible. And he's going to do it here. And it's going to be attached to the dreams of every person here.